are listening to Making Life Brighter on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, where we provide you with the latest information in natural healing, consciousness training, and all cutting-edge healing modalities, featuring experts in their field, including authors, musicians, and artists. Making Life Brighter is your forum for healing, inspiring, and uplifting entertainment. Here is your host, Winifred Adams. You're listening to Making Life Brighter Radio, and I'm your host, Winifred Adams. And today we're talking with retired Army Sergeant First Class, William Kotel. And William Kotel has been present during the Benghazi situation. And today, as you know, we're on our third part of Betrayal in Benghazi. And we are dialing down through the facts of this because it's pertinent to today. And we are interested in finding out exactly what went on who is involved, and why that is meaningful to today's dialogue, and in today's political theater and landscape, why that's necessary to go back to look at the facts. So I'd like to welcome, without further ado, William Kotel. Thank you, sir, for coming and spending time with us today and Making Life Brighter Radio. Thank you for having me. And I'd like to begin the conversation with the fact that you were there, and what is it that had you interested in coming back into this dialogue and uncovering that which was covered up? Well, if you'll allow me, I'll go ahead and just start by explaining a timeline so we can get a chronological order of things that led up to Benghazi and then what happened after. Very good. Okay. So in 2012, if everybody goes back to that date and time group, it was a re-election year for President Obama. Okay, And in 2012, everyone knew that bin Laden was killed. After the killing of bin Laden at CENTCOM, we weren't allowed to report on any type of Sunni slash Al-Qaeda attacks that were taking place in the Middle East because the narrative was President Obama had smashed Al-Qaeda. And this presented some problems and challenges of its own. But then to fast forward in about the month of April to May, time frame, I was the head of the watch floor, which is early warning and indications for. And during that period, we were tasked to help and to help stand up the new African command from Central Command. We were doing all their intelligence work for them because they hadn't had a formalized headquarters at that time set up. We were pushing and pulling intelligence data from both Central Command and African Command and those areas of operations, which are separate, but you know, closely related. And we were also pushing and pulling to NATO and to other allies. And these intelligence push and pulls were continuing all the way through the time during the Benghazi attacks on September 11th in 2012. What we were seeing is a huge increase in threat warnings against our embassy in Benghazi and against our annexes in the Benghazi area and the embassy in Tripoli area, of course. And we were pushing them out quite hard. Some of these were very credible threat warnings. They were coming from human and signals intelligence. These warnings, when they come out, so you understand the context with an embassy or any military command, there is a a, what's called like a playbook. The playbook has these boxes that we check when certain significant acts take place. Some of these checks will give the indicator that the ambassador and key personnel have to be removed and security has to be increased, things of that nature. 
So I hope your audience understands that. During the lead up to Benghazi, through the months from April, May, June, all the way to September, they became more significant to the point in August where the ambassador should have, by regulation, been removed from the country of Libya because of the threats, as well as other key personnel. When we get up to the idea that the embassy itself had requested additional security forces and they were being reduced and not increased, and the requests were not being honored, we put out further warnings and indications of attacks pending. That fell on deaf ears, I believe. I don't, I don't think that took place uh, to change anybody's you know, modus operandi. And then during the time that Benghazi went down, we were conducting a training exercise, which we call internal look. It was internal look 12. That meant that 75% of CENTCOM folks were at work, most of which were engaged in this exercise when the attacks took place at Benghazi. We were still not able to stop our training mode for about eight and a half hours. During the times of the attacks, there were many agencies and other military assets that were being sent to help. None of them were allowed to go ahead and execute that help. They were told to stand down. We got information that the State Department was trying to contain and maintain and control of the attacked areas and that they had it in hand. Another event that took place that many people aren't aware of is at the same time the attacks took place in Benghazi against our annex, our embassy in Cairo, Egypt, was being overrun by 2,500 local nationals from the Muslim Brotherhood. And if we go back to the Egypt issue, Hosni Mubarak was running Egypt for many months prior to these attacks. And then there was a coup, and a guy named Morsi, who was the head of the Muslim Brotherhood, wound up becoming the president of Egypt. After that, when the attacks took place against our embassy in Egypt, our people were told, again, the State Department wants to give the Morsi government the opportunity to get it in control again and not to take any actions. So we had 2,500 local nationals on U.S. sovereign soil within the embassy in Cairo, Egypt. Again, we were still in a training exercise and not allowed to stand down. As the evening progressed and no help was going to these, these folks that were on the ground in Benghazi, we didn't understand why that was happening and we were just continued to train and we were told that we have other agencies that are taking care of it. Well, the next day at eight and a half hours plus the attack time, we were sent home, all non-essential personnel were sent home. Before we were sent home, we were told that we had to secure all data we had on Benghazi to provide it for an investigation. After the attacks though, we do what are called reflections. Reflections are post-attack analysis. We listen to who's saying what about the attacks through both human sources and signal sources and other sources. And there was a lot of chatter on who was involved with these attacks. That information never got sent anywhere. Apparently it was just maintained in a data ball. So when we go back on this whole evening in these events, many things unfolded that were very negative, that were very much a failure. Some of the things that I'd like to touch on that were also failures were the fact that there were some NATO allies that had troops on the ground that also offered assistance and they were turned down by the State Department. Further information is we conduct and maintain a system called the Global Command and Control System, affectionately known as GEEKS, and that tells us where all good guys and bad guys and neutrals are in any area operating. 
And that showed that there was a lot of U.S. forces and other forces that were in the realm to rescue within 30 minutes or less, some within an hour or less. None of them were utilized. So now we've got all that data and that information. We were told about who was able to help and did not get the authorization to help. And we were told that we couldn't deal with this matter any further. Once we were dealing with CENTCOM in the next several weeks, all the information that we sent forward, we weren't allowed to speak about this whole Benghazi matter. Later, we'll, fa we'll fast forward to the Benghazi hearings and the Benghazi committee led by Trey Gowdy. Trey Gowdy's committee was given a lot of information. I personally tried to give Trey Gowdy's committee actual evidentiary information factual information because they were going on the premise with no human or signals intelligence reports no geeks analysis sheets they didn't have any of the facts that were needed to conduct the investigation and their investigator had told me that they didn't want it i even tried communicating with the democratic side and they laughed at me on the phone literally so i was very stunned about this whole matter and i couldn't believe that we weren't allowing any of the actual facts or evidence or material to come out that would have shown exactly who was where and what was happening. This is an absolute failure on everyone's part to try not to get at the main truth, only to try to get to that portion of the truth that satisfies the American people. And that's unacceptable. Well, it doesn't seem to have if satisfied you, the American people because it's not the truth. It's, it's uh, propaganda at that point. It's not really what, what happened and the picture that was painted later was that it was all under control and everything was fine and, and then passed off additionally, correct? That's correct. Then if you want to fast forward to today's date, and we'll get off the chronological after this, the reason that I want to bring up Benghazi and the reason that it's, I know it's an older issue, but it has a lot of merit is because this current president, President Trump, has so many obstructionists that are in the White House, that are in every agency, Department of Defense, Department of State, you know, Department of Justice, FBI, DEA, CIA, all these agencies. And they are creating such havoc on our president when he wants to say, give an order, that that order is being manipulated so that the person that executes that order is doing something that's more embarrassing to the administration and counterproductive to what his goals and intents are. Sir, so how do you know that goal. to be true though? How, how do you have factual evidence on that in particular? I'll give you an example. I'll use a fictitious name. There's a sergeant, and we'll just say, you know, Rodriguez, if you want to use that name, who's in the U.S. Army, who's in Afghanistan and Iraq. He's back in the United States. The president issues an order that came down that stated that all illegal immigrants that have committed crimes are to be rounded up and charged and sent back home. Well, Sergeant Rodriguez, again, a fictitious name, and his wife and his mother and his family were one of the ones rounded up. So by the time the order got from the President of the United States down to the executors at the ICE area down there, somebody had changed that order to not go after the illegals that had committed crimes, but to go after a U.S. Army Sergeant and his entire family. And that was one of several examples of U.S. military personnel that went through that. So you can see where the president's orders go from the top down to the bottom. And as that executor, there's many people in that little chainway or that chain path that, that are actually changing that order 
so that they can do something that embarrasses this president. And this is just one example dealing with immigration. There are multiple other uh, instances and issues that came up that have that same signature or hallmark on it. And that is, again, why I'm choosing to bring the Benghazi issue up, to allow the president to write an executive order, to order the information that still exists. All this information is still within data balls that reside in Department of Defense and take some of the senior guys and charge them, charge them for crimes. I mean, the family's got no closure. There is still a great deal of unanswered questions about why we were told to stand down. What was the purpose of that? What State Department element had information? I mean, there's a great deal of information. That's not why we took our oaths when we joined the military, and that's not why we're part of, uh, you know, this whole big show to try to protect America and to actually be good public servants. So you feel that there absolutely was betrayal that took place there from the top down. And who do you feel is the, the greatest negative force behind all that? Well, I don't want to speculate on that because I don't know. I wasn't in the White House. I wasn't there when they issued orders or decisions. I mean, you can't chalk this up to gross negligence because so many different commands had so many different people all around that area that were told they couldn't do anything. It was easy to access them. Hell, they even had drones that were armed uh, watching them fire the mortars. They could have taken them down. These are the problems. So somebody in these chains of commands had to affect orders that stopped and negated any kind of rescue actions or attempts to go ahead and get our people out. And I can't tell you where that that resides from, the top level. I can tell you for a fact at my level, we saw that and we know that it was a simple correction. We had elements that were on that target objective when they were getting struck right from the get-go that could have unleashed hellfires. We know that there were troops within 30 minutes or less time to get on the ground there. There were US troops. We know that NATO offered assistance with several different countries still having troops on the ground very few blocks away from where this annex was being hit and they were asked not to get involved okay we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back you're listening to making life brighter radio and today we have retired army sergeant first class william kotel and we will be right back you're listening to making life brighter radio and this is part three of betrayal in benghazi stay tuned Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, Be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life, as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, 
Decide that you have something to say and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Is your health where you think it should be? If you're like most people, the answer is probably not. Where can you get the answers you need to get on the right track? The answers start on Occupy Health. Each week, host Dr. Susan Downs and her guest experts will answer your questions as well as prepare you for questions you'll want to ask your health provider. You'll want to plan for your optimal health with Occupy Health. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Welcome back to Making Life Brighter with Winifred Adams on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, the preferred choice for conscious education and entertainment. For more information, please visit us at makinglifebrighter.com. If you have questions or comments, please email us at radio at makinglifebrighter.com. That's radio at makinglifebrighter.com. And now, back to the show with your host, Winifred Adams. And we're back. You're listening to Making Life Brighter Radio, and I'm your host, Winifred Adams. And today we're speaking with William Cotell. He's retired Army Sergeant First Class, and he is someone in the know about the Benghazi whole arena, the theater of Benghazi. And he's had evidence along the way. He's, had, he's been present during this entire um, trial shakedown, all the things that have gone on around this story, which is again coming up into the forefront and has significance to today. We're talking about the chronological events that bring this forward into significance. And he was just saying last segment that in fact, we are in need of bringing the people forward that did not respond and that failed to respond wittingly, that they knew better and they didn't do better. So let's talk some more about that. What is it that people really could have done better and what was going on that had their interest elsewhere. Okay. So let me, let me answer your question in one second. Let me just say something now. I'm going to repeat it later so everybody can understand this. There's a theme that's going around a false narrative that there is Iranian involvement in these attacks. And we never saw any intelligence that showed that at all. That's not a factual thing that we had any good, reliable information about. So anybody that wants to speak about that, 
they're putting out some kind of false narrative. Um, could be for their own agenda. But to get back to your question, that's exactly the next point I want to get into. When you're in the government, whether you're in the military or you're in the State Department or you're in an agency, every one of us swears in and takes an oath, an oath of office. That oath, under government guidelines, you can be held accountable for failing to abide by the oath. So to put that into context, every commander, everybody that was on the ground there, everybody in a position of authority there, or back in the States, that failed to execute a rescue operation, they disobeyed the oath of office. And under these type of crimes, those are felony type crimes in a civilian setting for federal law. Under military, it would be under the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Nobody, and I mean nobody, can order you not to go in and conduct a rescue if no actions are being taken. There was some rumor and gossip about senior commanders that got relieved that tried to take action. And again, I'm not sure how they would be relieved because you doing the right thing by going and rescuing your, your fellow soldiers and especially rescuing an ambassador who's a very senior person in our country, the most senior person for the United States, is utterly ridiculous. And I'll give you a context of, of the whole issue with us being in a training exercise and us following our oaths. In 1993, there was an attack against the World Trade Center by the Blind Sheikh with this van filled with bombs and explosives. And he rammed it into a parking garage into the World Trade Center during that time. My unit with the 101st, I was with Charlie Company, 1st 327 Infantry, 101st Airborne. We were in a training exercise called the Joint Readiness Training Center, or JRTC training exercise. The second that that had happened, orders came down. We were told to go and assemble in an area of a field where we had helicopters waiting. We were to take off our blank adapters and our training rounds would be put away, and we had live rounds, and we were just waiting on orders. This was within an hour of the attacks. We're in Fort Chaffee, Arkansas, in a training exercise. So we're ready to fly and go wherever it's needed, wherever there's some kind of conflict in the United States. We didn't even know the bombing had taken place. We just knew we were on uh, ready alert and ready to go. Fast forward to 2012 at CENTCOM, we weren't able to stop our training exercise for eight and a half hours. And I don't know why that is. That's that a never have taken place. That, you, that should never have happened. I've never seen that happen in multiple instances. I've never heard of that happening. But when well, you go back- They were crying for help over there. They were, they were saying, yeah. we need help. And everyone looked the other way. To go back on those types of issues, you have to look at every, every person in the military or the government. We have to abide by our oaths. We never leave anybody behind. It never happens. And we do not stand down on people that are in harm's way. We send forces immediately, immediately. And so how does so, Egypt factor into this some more? How does, how does the entire theater of the Middle East come into play? What's behind the need to deny this help? So we'll get back to the Middle East now. We'll go back to the chronological order issue. 2012 is an election year. President Obama is siding with Shia. Arabs and the Shia Arabs conspired to Iran. <clears throat> and now, the country of Iraq had already lost most of the Sunni people that were in government positions 
were in uh, military and were in national police positions. And so did most of the other countries in the neighboring area. There was a conflict, a civil war going on in Syria that was getting really heated and out of control. And again, it was a Sunni Shia type issue that was going on fighting each other. So you had many Middle Eastern countries pouring people in to help with these conflicts. There was an extreme amount of attacks by Sunnis in the country of Iraq, which we couldn't report on, as I indicated before, because bin Laden was dead. So when bin Laden died, Al-Qaeda died. This led to a great shift in the Sunni Shia, uh, so to speak, a disenfranchisement. Now, the country of Egypt, the Morsi Brotherhood, is a Shia group run by Mr. Morsi. And uh, it's the Muslim Brotherhood that was dominating the country of Egypt. Thank God, General Sisi, who's a Sunni, decided to take the country back because that country has a lot of implications with the Suez Canal and many other things. So you could see the entire Middle East was turning into a Shia and Iranian-friendly area. And this became another problem because when it came to Benghazi and Libya in specific, we took out Mubarak. I'm not sure why we did that, but we did. And that left this huge vacuum and a lot of different factions and groups that were Sunni and Shia mixed up. Another golden opportunity for Shia to gain a foothold in Northern Africa. So this is all what we were seeing during that time period. And I don't know if President Obama ever received any of these intelligence reports or not because they were being screened or, you know, changed. You know, we would have attacks from uh, Al-Qaeda elements in downtown Baghdad three days in a row. And the reports would go up and they'd be changed into like environmental concerns about the Tigris River, environmental concerns about, you know, the trash and things of that nature. So these attacks are being left out. Well, All of this played into the extensive narrative of, yeah, the re-election. Go ahead. Well, all of this was playing into the narrative of the re-election. And so because the, of that kind of stuff, you had Iran walking in, literally walking into the country of Iraq, getting things from Iraq to include U.S. Prevention or provincial reconstruction money we were giving the country of Iraq so they could rebuild their country with essential services. And they were walking out with it. So they were stealing the money, essentially. And or were they stealing the money? Well, who's, who's on the side of being in, in cahoots with wanting that money? What would they do with it? Where does it go to? How does it get used at that point if they're stealing it for what? We had reports. We had reliable reports that Ahmed Medinejad, the former president of Iran, was walking into the country of Iraq and removing funds that were given by the United States government as provincial reconstruction money. And then when he got out, he's using those monies to go ahead and fund different Shia-type terrorist or extremist groups, like Hezbollah being one of them, or Jaysh al-Mahdi, or others. This is the type of things that were going on in the Middle East. So we saw this huge shift where we had the Middle East under control, and all of a sudden it shifted to where the Sunnis were being disenfranchised, the Shia were dominant in the country, and they took over by force the country of Egypt, and then the whole issue took place in Benghazi, which was another separate issue but while all this was going on. And let's not forget, that was a re-election year, and uh, bin Laden was killed. So al-Qaeda was decimated, which is not true. So was, yeah, apparently not. And so was that then a distraction? Was Benghazi a distraction to something else that was going on? Like, hey, look over here. Oh, no, don't look there. Look over here. I don't know that to be the case. I know that Benghazi should never have happened. There was too many warnings and indications that went down. There was too much that was going on 
to uh, advise them. There were too many forces in the area to any, for anything to happen. Well, you were at CENTCOM, so what, what went through in front of you? And you were in training, you said, and you didn't stop the training, but you got back and then what? You, you see all this took place, and then what happened once you realized it had already happened? Well, what took place was then the information was taken so that it could be reviewed and sent up to hire. And basically, it was going to be put on standby for the committee like the Trey Gowdy Committee. And that's what happened with the information. And we weren't really allowed to talk on that issue at all, which made no sense because we, we were the ones watching it happen and we were the ones that were advising what to do. But later you brought this forward for examination and then you were actually called to task over what you seem to know, correct? Yes, and if you want to fast forward, I was actually retired from the military in 2014 when I brought this information to the Trey Gowdy Committee, which I talked about a little earlier. When I brought it to the committee, I had communicated with them eight times. Their senior investigator called me back. I won't say his name, but he advised me that they didn't want the information. They didn't want the facts. They just wanted to make sure Hillary Clinton didn't become president. That's what they said exactly to me. And then I didn't understand how they could conduct an investigation without the data or the facts. But then when you fast forward to now and 2019 and now this year, again, the president has the opportunity to get the information. It exists. It's all still in these data balls. And you can hold certain people accountable. And he needs to. He needs to hold some of these senior military commanders and government employees accountable to stop a lot of these other obstructionists within government and to give closure to these families. Now, Charles Woods, who's a retired judge, he's the father of Ty Woods, the service member that was killed in Benghazi. He's got these letters from the prior administration, which were just garbage. They looked him in the eye and they told him, if that was my son, I would have done exactly what happened on Benghazi. I mean, utter, utterly ridiculous. The man is beside himself trying to get people to listen to him. And again, like I said before, you have a lot of people putting out false narratives for gain and profit that aren't telling the truth about this. But the facts are the president can issue an executive order and within 30 days have the information. 30 days after that, senior people can be charged. And then you've removed some of these obstructionists within government to stop his orders from being uh, countermanded or tainted or changed in their execution. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And, and then we're going to be right back. We have much more on this subject. We're covering the betrayal in Benghazi today. This is part of our three-part series here on Making Life Brighter Radio. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more William Kotel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how... 
Be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life, as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Is your health where you think it should be? If you're like most people, the answer is probably not. Where can you get the answers you need to get on the right track? The answers start on Occupy Health. Each week, host Dr. Susan Downs and her guest experts will answer your questions as well as prepare you for questions you'll want to ask your health provider. You'll want to plan for your optimal health with Occupy Health. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Welcome back to Making Life Brighter with Winifred Adams on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, the preferred choice for conscious education and entertainment. For more information, please visit us at makinglifebrighter.com. If you have questions or comments, please email us at radio at makinglifebrighter.com. That's radio at makinglifebrighter.com. And now, back to the show with your host, Winifred Adams. And we're back. You're listening to Making Life Brighter Radio. And last week we had on Tom Palladino and Juliet, who had contracted the coronavirus and was healed by Scalar. And I just want to quickly add in here that uh, if you hadn't heard that show, you want to go back and take a listen to it. But you can participate in free Scalar Light healing right now during this time of the coronavirus spread. And you can go to www.freescalar.net and submit yourself to his remote healing study in Scalar, and she claims that she had been positively affected by using that Scalar light after she was infected with the coronavirus. So that's just a quick note. And now we're going to jump back into our topic today, betrayal in Benghazi. And we're speaking to 
William Cotel, who is retired Army Sergeant First Class, and he was there during the time in a very complex theater of events in the Middle East. So let's talk about why perhaps the president doesn't seemingly just call this to action and, and, and investigate this right off. Why do you think that is? I think he's got a lot of people that are giving him bad information and they're, they're blocking a lot of good information coming in. And I think that the president, if he would hear some of the interviews we've done in the past and everybody that are listening to go out and to talk to, you know, everybody from their local you know, congregations or schools and ask everybody to put stuff up to Congress, the Senate, and to the president's office, I think it would give some momentum to it. But I think he's got a lot of obstructionists. And the whole point of trying to get this Benghazi uh, issue resolved is not just for closure of the families who don't have it, but it's also for closure to soldiers and service members that couldn't do anything. But it goes to the obstructionists that are currently within the government. They're still going to be blocking and doing the wrong thing by the American people. I mean, you have to understand that, that we're doing our best to get him that information. There's so many, you know, rings around him, and then there's people that just block you and shut you down. And, and you know, they don't allow the president to hear from these types of people that have firsthand knowledge of certain instances that took place. And now that Tom Fitton has brought up Benghazi again and is getting Hillary Clinton into court of law on this, is bringing Benghazi back to the forefront, even more so it was brought up in the impeachment hearings, which were garbage in my opinion, and uh, kind of scary to be honest. But now that this is taking place, we have the ability to let the president see this. Because you have to understand that 2012 was some time ago. All those people that were seniors back then, they're either much more senior now in government postings, or they work with large companies or corporations and have involvement with government to help to keep the narrative the way they want it. And that's not acceptable. I mean, nobody ever leaves anyone behind. And here we are with an ambassador that died, that never had to die. That's outrageous. Four other Americans died for no reason. There was zero reason behind it. There was plenty of warning time, many months of intelligence given out saying, hey, it's time for you guys to get out. You know, and, and to have such a tight-knit control over so many different people. Senior commanders had the ability to go in and countermand orders. There are things in the military and in government that are called unlawful orders. If I tell you not to rescue somebody, that literally, by definition, is an unlawful order. I do not have to abide by that. I go back and I abide by what my oath says. I'm going to follow lawful orders. So when you say don't rescue and they're sitting there getting killed and you're right there and you're being told to just watch, that's unlawful. People get charged with felony crimes for that or under Uniform Code of Military Justice. And that's what we're asking the president to do with some of the senior people because they have a lot more influence and affluence today than they did back then. So think about the influence they have on any decision-making process this current administration has. By the time it gets down to the execution phase, it's more counterproductive to the American people than it is anything else. And that's what I want, at least hopefully some of your listeners take away from this, that we have the ability to get him to get these guys and hold them accountable, hold their feet to the fire, charge them, and then put the rest of these obstructionists in a category where, hey, we're watching, you know, don't you dare. And so they'll either quit or they'll be made to quit or move on. 
Well, do you think he'd do it? I mean, when we spoke with General Vallelay, I asked him if he speaks with the president, and he said he reads the things that he sends to him. So since he's part of that entire committee, would he not know about this by this time? I think he would know, but what he would know would be a tainted version. Uh, I'll give you an example of what that means. So if, if I worked for you, okay, and I said, here, Ms. Adams, here's a document I received from, you know, this bank talking about all these different figures and funds, and you need to know everything that's in there. But meanwhile, I'm your, you know, I'm one that works for you. I redacted, I blacked out so many of those numbers that the document only has a couple lines in it. And you say, hey, Mr. Cotel, is that what I need? Just those few lines? And I say, yes, ma'am, it is. And then you go forward with that. And meanwhile, I've just screwed you. Now you've gotten this tainted version of this document where you needed to really know all of it, but you're only seeing those portions that I think are necessary. Well, that's, so they change the narrative of how yes. the president's able to do his job. Twisting the narrative and, and how in the world can he trust anyone around him? I, I mean, let's, let's call a spade a spade for a minute. There are many people in this country at the moment that are terrified of the way he conducts himself or reacts to things. So they're confused at this point as to how he could be doing something that would be for the greater good of people. Can you speak to that? I can generally speak to that. And then this is my opinion. I'm going to render an opinion here. I don't like doing that normally, but I can say quite frankly that I think a lot of his anger and shock shows when he talks to the American people about what his own people did. I mean, liken it to you having children in school and a teacher does something negative to your child, but they get the rest of the teachers to consort and to conspire and say to the parent, hey, your kid is just a bad seed. Can't you see that? And your child was doing nothing wrong. The teacher just didn't like them. But now as a parent, you're like, well, okay, I guess, you know, if that many teachers say that and the bus driver says it, my kid must be doing something wrong. You know, this is the same thing with the president. He's got all these people that give him this information and they skew and they taint and they change and they redact this information to give him what they feel he needs. And then when something comes back on him, he shows anger and animosity and shock. And it comes out sometimes to the American public like, you know, this is what it's meant to do and all this. And he's not really telling you how many idiots he had dealing with him. And he's really having a hard time getting folks that he can trust. And because no one's being charged, they can get away with it over and over and over. And that's scary. Because now so you have what, a president that's not fully informed. What will stop this chain of wicked events of people being the middleman that aren't appropriate in truth. That's why I chose Benghazi. Benghazi is one of those mechanisms that will do that. It won't fix the entire problem, but it will start it down the path. Benghazi, the president can hold at least three to four senior people accountable and charge them publicly, make an issue about it and come out with a real narrative on Benghazi. What that would do is it countermands the whole other administration's uh, persona and what they published and put out about what took place in Benghazi. And then it puts all these other people into a category that if you are an obstructionist, look at what happened to your senior guys. They just got slammed or going to jail, literally. And now the rest of them that are within government, they become more scared. They become more timid or complacent, or they're saying, I don't want to work here anymore. Because now they know that the president is going to put his foot down and say, no, enough of this. I'm going to make sure that we have justice and righteousness so that I get good information. I can make good decisions with the American people. And that's very important. 
well, not to make light of this, but honestly, could someone not just tweet him directly that he needs to pay attention to this? He seems to look at that quite a bit. He looks at tweets, but the tweets that they come up with, what is the veracity or credibility of those tweets? Mm -hmm. So you have to, you have another interface you, between he and someone else. Yeah. It has to be direct. Again, people, Essentially, you need to go in there and sit down and talk to him, or General Valle needs to go in and sit down and talk to him, and Nick No needs to go in, and somebody needs to go in and, and actually, maybe all three of you have a meeting with him. How can that come even across? If not, well, even if not a meeting, even if he would just listen to what we're, we're requesting, we respectfully request you conduct an executive order down to the Department of Defense and Department of State to get all relevant intelligence information from that time period. That includes human intelligence, signals intelligence, MAZINT, as well as the geek system. That way you can show who was where and when they were there. And then you can go back and question those people, not him personally, but his, his staff, on why didn't you take action? Who ordered you not to? That's facts. Those are real facts. That's evidence. And that's what can get these folks nailed. And in a short amount of time, one of the great things about the federal government is when you're tired of bureaucracy and you do an order, so if the president did an executive order, he says, you have no later than 30 days to respond to this. So you can put a tasking of a time period on that so that they can't get out of it. Asking for those specific materials and data that still reside in these systems, and the president still has his clearance so he can talk and speak classified material, he can just review some of that himself and find out who is a culprit. Because you're talking about really the day in question is what you're talking about. So September 11th through September 12th are the key factors. And then there's a few days after that where we got reflections in those post-attack analysis reports also that may come in handy. But let's be honest. I mean, in 2015, 22 Libyan nationals were supposed to come and testify before the Benghazi committee. Wouldn't you know, right before Christmas, all of them died. Wow. They literally were killed. So you have to wonder, again, what's going on. And holding some of these people accountable will stop a lot of this obstructionist activities from happening. So when the president gives an order that these agencies and these people follow that order lawfully, they don't manipulate or change it. They don't take away from his intent. How do you go from, hey, all illegal aliens and immigrants that are criminals I want removed. How do you go from that to, let's get that sergeant in the army and let's get him and his whole family and screw them up. There's a huge disparagement there. There's a huge divide there. There's no way that the president meant that. That wasn't his intent. So now you've disobeyed a directed lawful order by the president of the United States. If we could find that person that did that, that would be great. But since there's so many, we go after the senior folks, we can remove them and stop their, their negative influence from taking place within the government. Because right now, let's look at another agency, the FBI. They look like trash. Nobody that, trusts the FBI. Well, on that note, we have to take a quick break. We're going to be right back with more William Cotel right here on Making Life Brighter. Stay tuned. This is good. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life, as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. your health where you think it should be if you're like most people the answer is probably not where can you get the answers you need to get on the right track the answers start on occupy health each week host dr susan downs and her guest experts will answer your questions as well as prepare you for questions you'll want to ask your health provider you'll want to plan for your optimal health with occupy health listen fridays at 11 a.m pacific time 2 p.m eastern time on voice america health and wellness Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Welcome back to Making Life Brighter with Winifred Adams on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, the preferred choice for conscious education and entertainment. For more information, please visit us at makinglifebrighter.com. If you have questions or comments, please email us at radio at makinglifebrighter.com. That's radio at makinglifebrighter.com. And now, back to the show with your host, Winifred Adams. We're back. You're listening to Making Life Brighter Radio. We're speaking with William Cotel, and he is he is the retired Army Sergeant First Class, and he worked in intelligence. He worked in CENTCOM. He was over in the Benghazi, and we're talking about the betrayal in Benghazi, and we were just finishing when he was talking about how you can't trust the FBI. So please continue on that thought. As I was saying, the FBI, it looks like a garbage agency now. Nobody trusts FBI anymore. And that's a sad thing because there's a lot of good FBI agents. There are. The policies that came down, 
They changed the FBI. Now you can't deal directly with an FBI agent. Now you have to do a call center thing and send it to somewhere in Virginia where it goes in an inbox. So that whole thing about say something or see something, say something, you can't even do that. So this makes the entire FBI look very bad. And that's bad because there's so many good agents. Like I said, all these agencies and Department of Defense and the State Department have a lot of good people in there. They all took the oath. They all want to make something good. They want to make something better. They took the oath because they believe in what they're trying to do. And then you have these one or two bad apples here or there that want to manipulate change and screw the pooch on things. And what it does is it taints the entire agency, just like it taints the entire United States Army or the entire Department of Defense. And that's not a fair persona to have because there's so many good people involved. You just have certain people in key positions that really make it hard for them to even do their job, let alone to look like a normal person. We'll talk a little bit about to your intelligence level, to the things that you did when you were in CENTCOM. What what is it that you could have access to and that you did control in your in your line of work? Well, my line of work, I controlled some of the narratives on some of the uh, intelligence reports that went up, uh, the briefings that went up to to our command that also went up to to the president. We also dealt with targeting, um, and I also dealt with early warning and indications. What that means is it's a a specific watch floor where all current event comes in, any kind of current events that are taking place. We also get all the intelligence data updates and briefs on warnings and threats that are potential. And we also track and monitor all forces and where they're located at. So we had quite a quite a span of, of uh, duties, if you will, um, to monitor things. So I had access to a lot of stuff, and it wasn't just Department of Defense stuff. We worked with all the agencies, the NSA, um, the CIA. We worked with uh, the League Act or the, the uh, IAG, as we call it, which had State Department reps in it, FBI and others, civil affairs and more. So we worked with everybody. And at CENTCOM, we also had Coalition Village where we worked with foreign nationals at lower intelligence levels. But we had like total of like what, 46 nations that had uh, representation by service members there. So we had a lot of sharing and caring going on. It was like a Care Bear kind of thing, but <laughs> in a much higher level. Well, it seems like there's somebody along in there that is rogue in the mix because they must have known and they must have had information that had them ally themselves with those that seem to need this theater and to control that theater in that way with that particular set of events. What was the outcome of controlling it that way with those events? What good did that do in the end? Uh, Nothing. It caused the death of four Americans. Uh, The most senior American you can have in a foreign country is the ambassador. He's like the president for that country, uh, for the United States, representing the president. And if you take Um, him out in that time frame, what did that do? Did, did that shuffle the deck? Did that up, upend something? That caused a huge investigation to be launched. That caused a lot of concern. A lot of issues came up about why we were even in Libya, as well as what was the goal or the end state. Um, and beyond that, it also signals when an ambassador gets taken out like that, it's an act of war. So, you know, we're, we're back in possibly another one, maybe two countries or more in a combat mode. Uh, so and that was intentional, very, you think? That would keep us yeah. at war? I don't know about that. I mean, that makes money, it's true, but um, it would be hard to say. I, I don't want to render an opinion on it because I don't have one on that. I don't have enough facts 
to say what's right or wrong in that arena. Um, I can tell you that, that we just, many, many soldiers and service members and other people from other agencies felt very, very angry about why there was no rescue and what was so harsh about getting it done. There were some other things going on in, in Libya itself that were not being tracked by normal channels. They were being tracked by other channels. And that kind of stuff may have led up to it, may not have. These like are things what? that I'm not aware of. But that's oh, the thing I'm saying. I'm not aware know. of it. But General mm-hmm. Valley, General Valley spoke to that effect. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I had seen something on those along those lines, I would speak about it. Because as long as it's not classified, I can, I can speak about it. Because everything we're talking about is unclassified. But where it comes to some of the classification stuff and materials that we have to talk about, that's why we're asking the president to do the executive order, to go back on those people and to go after them and find out why did you fail to do this? What was your reasoning? You know, who ordered you to? And find out why you lied about it. Because mm-hmm. lying before Congress is also a felony offense. So and these are the things we want. According to General Valet and, and Nick No, that um, Hillary Clinton had lied previously, and that's what they're looking to investigate now. And Tom Fenton is, is going to bring that back up. And I had asked in the previous interview, you know, everything's about the emails. And I was saying, could there be more besides the emails? And they more or less alluded to the fact that there may be more forthcoming. So we're about to find out. But your objective, personally, is to have the president hear this and call that forward to begin this investigation. And And to be quite honest with you, all it would require is an executive order to be written, which is like a one-page order written. It -hmm. takes 10 minutes, and then the boss signs it. And then it's, it's a lawfully directed order and everyone executes on it. As long as he puts a no later than date, that data and material will appear within that time frame. Guarantee you that. Very and good. And he can make a judgment. He can make a judgment and take it forward. Uh, at least it well, opens the door and opens the gate. Well, perhaps that will happen. We're going to follow along with this story much more. I wanted to ask you while you're here, your thoughts on the COVID-19 virus. You know, we're in a very tentative time in America where everything may get shut down again, which could presumably affect every single person in this country. What do you feel about this? What do you know about it? My thoughts and opinion are these, are that the president currently knows there's a vaccine vaccine that's being created, that it goes into uh, test trials next week. Um, The reason for the national state of emergency for approximately a 30-day period is to find out all those that have it through the incubation time and tracing down patient zero from each area or location and then implementing these vaccines. He's doing a really good job on protecting the country. I think, honestly, if you want my my full-blown opinion, I think in two months we'll be back to business as usual and this will have been a nightmare and the United States will have suffered the least out of it and we'll be winding up helping the rest of the world like we always do. Do you think it's and, organic uh, or inorganic? Because General Valley suggested there's two strains of it, one that's organic and one that's man-made. Uh, a biological weapon that was produced. That's my opinion. I believe that the morons that produced it, you never produce a biological weapon unless you have a vaccine in order to protect your own. Um, I think it was uh, one of these. I don't know who did or why they did it. I don't know what the purpose was for it. 
but um, apparently they just went ahead and willy nilly made this stuff to create it to be uh, 100% uh, spreadable to do what we call in the military to produce mass casualties, Golly, um, well. which interrupts services. So Absolutely. at this point, the president's done the right thing. And I believe that again, you know, within a couple of months, we'll be almost back to business as usual. I think the vaccines will be out sooner than you think. And he's taking the right course of action. I know it's scary for everybody out there, but believe me, there's, there's a lot worse. This is not a hundred percent lethality. This is a very, actually very, very small percentage of lethality. Thank you so much for being with us today. William Kotel, retar- retired army sergeant, first class and betrayal in Benghazi is the topic. Thank you so much. Go jolly everybody. We have more on this upcoming. Stay tuned. Appreciate you being here today, William. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Making Life Brighter on the Health and Wellness Channel. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 10 a.m. for information, inspiration, and education with leading experts in healing and consciousness. For more information and a complete show schedule, please visit us at makinglifebrighter.com. Making Life Brighter, successfully helping you feel better from the inside out. Go Jolly! This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.